Welcome to Vase, a podcast about weird stuff. I'm Peter C. Hine, and joining me as always is a man who, by a strange synchronicity, is both my oldest friend and my co-host here on Vase. He's as mysterious as the freezing tendrils of coastal night fog which roll in from the endless ocean and reach beneath your calm and collected exterior to chill the very marrow of your bones. And he's as curious as a clouder of ill-fated cats trapped in a bag woven entirely of life's precious puzzles as they fall from the cliff of ignorance to meet their proverbial death on the cold, hard rocks of truth. It's Mr. Stephen James Buckley. Hello, Vice Nicks. How are you doing? And thank you once again, Mr. Hine, for that wonderful intro. Um, what did you think? Did, was that a bit purple? Yeah, it was. It was getting. It was getting a bit Lovecrafty in that. I thought it was. Uh, I could see a Lovecraft influence creeping in. Maybe we could lean into that. Like yeah, that could maybe, be a little theme, should. you know, sort of. But yeah. Anyway, enough about me. Our guest tonight describes herself in her Twitter bio as the Julia Child of sex magic. I have no idea what any of those things mean. But if her personal blog and podcast appearances are anything to go by, then we're about to have a fascinating conversation full of all manner of weird and wonderful business. Uh, she's knowledgeable about a huge range of vase-related stuff, so we don't really know where to begin, to be honest. But let's start with, hello. Hello, Stephanie Quick. Welcome, Stephanie. Hello. How are you guys? <laughs> very, oh, good, very thank well, you. thank yeah. you. How are you doing? I'm okay. You know, the... Um, it's funny because the Julia Child of sex magic thing was something that I um, put on as a Twitter tag to basically uh, uh, tease my family, because most of my family's on Twitter. And my uh, my mom is an outstanding, excellent cook. Um, my sister is as well, as is my brother and my dad and my bonus mom. Um, but my sister had worked for a while as a uh, baker at the Cheese Board, which is like a collective in Berkeley and Gourmet Ghetto. It's like literally across the street from Chez Panisse. And when she worked there, she would meet with Alice Waters uh, weekly to help her choose her cheeses for the uh, for Chez Panisse. So it's like very high-end, gourmet, ghetto, intense uh, stuff. Um, so I figured that would... Uh, tease my family about, you know, I'm the you know, <laughs> Jewish, because I'm like probably the least uh, foodie person in my family. But the other <laughs> thing is that Julia Child um, didn't come to public prominence and really doing what she is known for until she was past 50. Okay. Um, so older, I'm 61 now. And then the thing that I, that I do uh, take seriously about saying that Julia Child is one of my inspirations is that um, she takes something that, especially at the time when she wrote that uh, introduction to uh, French cooking, um, was very rarefied and it was very difficult to access. And you weren't really sure if you would be like, let's say you're in the Midwest of the United States in the 50s or 60s. Um, you go to some fancy French re restaurant. You don't know if they're going to rip you off or if they're giving you high quality food or anything. Um, and her position was, I'm going to give you all this knowledge and I'm not going to hold back so that if you want to put in the time and the attention and uh, develop your skills, then you can create this experience for yourself. Um, and uh, Stephen, we were actually discussing this prior to recording. This yeah. is something that's very important to me that if esoterically and, you know, sex magic would be part of that or erotic mysticism, mm -hmm. um, you know, I really believe in uh, putting knowledge and uh, skills and ideas out there so people can pursue this on their own. Um, because, you know, once you start trying to go out and learn from other people, 
Um, there can be skeeviness involved. I definitely ran into it myself as like a, a young woman um, getting involved in groups. There was a, a number of people who are incredibly generous and wonderful with me, but then uh, there's also people that will try and take advantage or, you know, assault you or rip you off from money or work, that type of thing. Um, and it's funny because I, I used to, I never ended up like, um, getting formally entangled with any esoteric orders. I mean, I never took a uh, um, uh, Buddhist refuge. Um, I never uh, joined like the OTO or, or anything like that or Wiccan Covens or whatever, which I always thought when I was younger, I was like, well, maybe that was a big missed opportunity. But um, in the last few years when I've uh, had the chance to speak out more publicly, it's actually an advantage because I'm not breaking any vows. You know, because even if you think, well, this people really need to know this, but, you know, there's that whole kind of ethical issue of do I really want to be blowing stuff? And I, I don't want to, like, blow anyone's privacy or anything, but, um, you know, I'm not bound to not say certain things because of um, promises I made or vows I took. So I can basically shoot my mouth off. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why we wanted you on the show. Yeah, I love all of that. I mean, all that you've just said has perfectly encapsulated why we wanted you to come on to base uh, tonight and there's I'm, so i'm just starting from your location as well it sounds so exotic you're you're in california aren't you on the on the yes. um on the west coast you know i've that's i've never been uh, have you ever been over there buckley no um no, no I, i've been i've I been wish. to the east coast but but uh, the west coast seems like incredibly all, all the things that you're talking about there sound inc- incredibly uh, like exotic and far removed were you were you have you always lived around there Yes, I was born in Fresno, which is... Oh, the right... night crawlers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're one of our favorite cryptids. <laughs> they are. They are probably one of our favorite cryptids. <laughs> they just look like a pair of pants. <laughs> yes, exactly. that's what's so yeah. good about them. Yeah, just just the pants. <laughs> They're just like walking around. Um, but yeah, so my uh, on my dad's side of the family, uh, they have like uh, ranchers and stuff who had been in that area for a while. And then on my mom's side of the family, there was like uh, rodeo stars and a guy that ran a uh, a uh, lodge uh, in North Fork, California. Um, and uh, going back to the Chiktansi tribe, which had my mom's, um, her mom's uh, family had been uh, born on the rancheria there, um, which is kind of like a reservation in California. So um, then when we were five, we moved up to the East Bay of San Francisco, just kind of south of Oakland and Berkeley. So most of my life was spent in the East Bay, and I always spent a lot of time in Berkeley and and everything. I went to school at UC Santa Cruz, so I was living in Santa Cruz for a couple of years in the early 80s, which was really fun. And then a few years ago, I ended up moving up to Napa because my mom had moved up here, and so uh, she was having some big health problems. So I moved in with her to help her out and just enjoying living in Napa. But um, California, I, and I try and convey this to people who aren't from around here that I can't tell you just people are just crazy for all type of spiritual esoteric shit around here people just go out of their minds I mean I've heard it described as like a spiritual marketplace or something like that where people kind of pick and choose kind of which things that they want to do and things like that 
Yeah, there is just an incredible, I mean, it's, it's like, even if just like in the town of Berkeley, which is now in California, things are becoming less accessible because um, of the real estate market and prices. Uh, but still, you could just go into Berkeley, which is not like a huge town. And it's not like, well, are you going to study Buddhism? It's like, well, which particular branch of Zen Buddhism? What branch of Tibetan Buddhism, right? Are you going to, you know, of course, no, I can't. I want to let people know that uh, this is the first podcast interview that I've really done, except for on um, Project Archivist, after I had uh, an episode of lupus psychosis. I've been having lupus for the last about three and a half years, and not treated all that great. And I ended up in the hospital with a lot of neurological psychiatric symptoms, including very bad aphasia. Um, so I'll forget uh, words or not be able to understand language or have difficulty speaking, which is basically exactly the type of guest you want to have on a podcast. <laughs> no, no, we're, we're really excited to have you here. And, and, yeah. and trust me, really I, I forget words all the time yeah. anyway and as far yeah. as i know i <laughs> I, had, I have that so uh, but so no we really appreciate you coming on as well thank you no i appreciate people bearing with me but um because of course right now i can't remember any of the uh the uh branches of tibetan buddhism but um yeah so it's like really intense and then people are making up their own uh, approaches, spiritual things. They're they're channeling, um, they're combining their own, uh, uh, you know, they might have like a type of physical yoga that they decide to combine with their channeling the Archangel Michael or something like that. Um, you'll see a lot of uh, big established groups. You'll see a lot of uh, small um, people meeting like in storefronts or just in private homes and coming up with their own material that they're uh, dealing with, which is how I learned a lot of, of things. So it's, I, a marketplace kind of undersells it and that, you know, you just run across people. I was uh, talking with someone about, oh, they were talking about at, at people in cemeteries. And of course, you know, there's a wide variety of activities, but I was thinking, you know, lots of times you'll just go out hiking and you'll see someone's like doing like a small ritual or uh, setting up a little altar or doing something. <laughs> you just have to say hi. So it's just people just go apeshit around here for it. It couldn't be more different than the rainy north of northwest of England that me and Buckley <laughs> yeah. are in at the moment. It really couldn't. And yeah. Given all of this uh, sort of incredible range of spiritual choices that you're presented with, how did you first find your way into this sort of uh, weird stuff, you know, the spiritual stuff or the paranormal stuff or anything like that? Well, I, I mean, I was always interested in, in weird stuff from the time I was small. I was interested in a lot of things. Um, the first a book that I really remember, uh, uh, there's a book called Strangely Enough, I've forgotten the author's name, but it's kind of like a Fortean book for kids. It has a bunch of uh, like about two or three page write-ups about uh, the Jersey Devil's uh, footprints that showed up that one night. Um, phantom airplanes or out-of-place airplanes, uh, folklore, uh, flying saucer sightings, ghosts, and um, it really got me interested in the consciousness angle, too, to just see 
you know, why did some people seem to kind of have like a, a fascination or it seemed like their consciousness kind of was a little bit different when they were seeing certain things? Um, and then, well, the big uh, push for me to get interested in esoteric practices um, as opposed to just uh, weird paranormal stuff was uh, when... So when I was about 15, I got uh, very ill, and it was probably an autoimmune uh, situation, but I, I missed almost all of my junior year of high school, and um, they never figured out, like, could really give me, like, a good diagnosis, but um, I was able to recuperate, but I still had a lot of problems, and then when I was 21, I ended up getting really ill again ended up in the hospital and had a big uh, near-death experience when the uh, my doctor uh, did this one procedure that gives you a lot of lidocaine uh, to try and calm down your bronchi because I was just like, have this, it's kind of like an asthma bronchitis type of thing that wouldn't slow down. And so I was in convulsions for 20 minutes. Um, and the thing about that was that I ended up meeting these beings and I, I was in kind of like the classic uh, bardo or void, which is, well, scare the, scare the pants off of you <laughs> because it's like nothing that you can hold on to. And it's very overwhelming. But at the same time, there's just like so much, this emptiness is also overwhelming. Anyway, and there was, I could sense these beings that were making themselves like very, very obviously present but they weren't, uh, they weren't taking me over or anything. They were like, okay, we're here. If you want, we can help. But also, you know, it, it wasn't in any type of imposition or anything. So if I just said yes. And then I just got like this huge amount of teachings and um, kind of plugged into this consciousness. And uh, so they gave me some specific practices that I started working with. Um, and then, uh, about seven years later, I, uh, well, I know exactly it was seven years later because, uh, my boyfriend at the time took me to a, uh, an exhibit of Tibetan, uh, Buddhist art in San Francisco for my birthday. And I saw this one tanka, and it was a dark tanka of Paldan Lamo. And I was like, this doesn't look anything like what I saw in that experience, but it's about the exact same thing. And that got me interested in Tibetan Buddhism. But at that, and it's interesting because the, um, I'm able to, to know the date of that show and actually the date that I went because there was a, the monks were making a sand mandala. And a woman came in and she was having a mental health crisis and she started uh, yelling and she kicked kicked at the mandala. So it was kind of a big deal. It was in the papers and everything. And a guy from the uh, museum um, helped me find an article about that incident. And I was like, yeah, I actually was there on my birthday, which is kind of fun because, of course, synchronicities are another thing of mine that I actually it was there on my birthday when I you know, found this. But I had had uh, that practice of seven years to, um, you know, work with these beings, uh, work with what they taught me and see what I thought of it, you know, good or bad. 
Are, are you happy to, to uh, talk a bit about your near-death experience? I, I had, I nearly died at the same age, uh, around the same age, oh, wow. I was 16. Um, but I didn't have the classic near-death mm-hmm. experience. Uh, you know, I don't know how... It's difficult to tell, isn't it? Because there's no real grade as to how close to death you are. You know, like I, I was in a coma for about five days, um, oh boy. and um, and it's close uh, enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was close enough for me. Uh, but yeah. but I did. But during that time, it was just it was just blank space. There was nothing. So I it, I remember sort of passing out, and then I remember waking up five days later. There was nothing in between. But on the morning before, when mm-hmm. I was quite ill, I had meningitis, so I was quite ill. Um, oh I I um, I. I, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was really like I'd been I'd been vomiting blood and it was it was you know, I was quite a mess at that point and and I suddenly felt a lot better and in the darkness of my room in my bedroom and my childhood home um a load of people came into my room uh, and um I recognized some of them as uh, relatives who died and I recognised some of them as relatives who were alive and some of them I didn't recognise at all and they all sat around my bed um, and and I, I seem to remember them kind of talking to me but I don't remember what they said um, and then I, I kind of passed out again and then I woke up again a bit later and it was all gone and, and I felt better um, and then and then like obviously a few hours later I, I kind of like passed out and, and, and didn't wake up again for a few days uh, but I, that, that, that bit has stayed with me even though there was none of the classic bright light or the usual things that you would associate with it that part where a lot of my ancestors had come to sit around my bed has really stuck with me um was yours more kind of like a classic near-death experience classic as in what you would read about in the books or how did yours go down (laughs) (laughs) no i love this is another one of my uh passions which is i don't want to I don't want to sound too incendiary. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm very I think you excited. <laughs> I'm very excited to get academics looking at these type of experiences. And it can be very valuable for people to look at these experiences and to systematize them and come up with these models that we can put on the, these experiences. But here's the problem. It took me, I, I don't know, probably the the at least five years to figure out that what I had was a, a near-death experience because there was so much emphasis on, you know, the bright light, uh, yeah. getting sent back, blah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Then finally, I read a book by uh, someone uh, called PMH Atwater. I read a few of her books and I suggest them to people because you have people that, that are outliers or you have this kind of idea that... Um, These certain elements and systematizing experiences in a certain way makes an aesthetic or uh, academic sense to certain groups of people, but it leaves out a lot of people who are then like you. Where I mean, of course, that was. An, I mean, it's okay. You're you're in a coma for a number of days. You're vomiting blood. Blah blah blah. Okay, so that's near death, right? Um, and the idea that you're seeing uh, dead relatives is like a cl- another classic of the near-death thing. The idea that they're talking, communicating, these people, these psychopomps, right, are communicating to you, another classic element, um, that you had a feeling of peace after that. That's another classic element. That you're still talking about it <laughs> all this time later and obsessed with it. That is the biggest one that mm. I that I uh, 
tend to flag. That um, took a while ha- though for me, I think, because yes. I, like I, 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 I mean, I spent probably ten years after that just drinking for a long time. <laughs> you know, there, there was no. I, I feel almost as if, in a way, I kind of missed something which could have benefited me a lot because of I was raised Catholic, you know, and mm. it was a very scary experience for me where a lot of those things that I'd seen I shouldn't have seen. And yeah. and I was given I was actually given my last rites, you know, the Catholic rites extramunction when I was in my hospital bed. And they didn't really I don't think they really expected me at that point to come back. Yeah. Um, and so coming back from that also made me feel a bit weird within, you know, how these ideas of these Catholic ideas and so on. I I hadn't seen the Blessed Virgin Mary or anything like that. I'd just seen nothingness. And that kind of thing didn't sit right with me for a long time. And it wasn't really till I got into my 30s. So that happened to me when I was 16. It wasn't really till I got into my 30s that I started to properly process that. Yeah, I and that is where these ideas, they can kind of be helpful. And it's nice to for people to have an idea that that this is kind of making some type of sense, but you have a lot of people that are outliers, and um, or or just people that that could use more uh, education or help with because a lot of these experiences are in and of themselves very challenging, um, and people like to uh, talk about that. It's exciting, except for then you have, you know, like, like, you know, you're only 16 and you've been, you know, physically, that's a whole thing to go through. And how can we try and talk about this in a way that is going to help people who, because a lot of people who come to these, um, to experiences of the weird is because they've had their own experience and they, it you're struggling with it on whatever level so to me that should be more of a motivator than oh look here i am i came up with this really uh all-inclusive idea about how smart i am about looking at alien encounters or whatever i mean things can can definitely overlap but i i mean i've never uh spoken with an academic or participated in any studies about near-death experiences because every time I've come across one and I go and I look at what they're asking and it does not map onto my own experience whatsoever. It makes no sense. What was your so, experience like? Um, if you're happy to talk about it. <laughs> no, it, was a, it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, um, I was very fortunate because I had a doctor who I had been with for a number of years, but he was still on the younger side at, when this happened. And so I, w- I was lucky there and my family was lucky there because we had good communication. So I'd been very ill and, um, you know, it was probably an autoimmune thing, which is it causes you like a massive fatigue. Like, you know, you're just like your body's just trying so hard to fight it. You don't have any brain power or anything left. Um, and so he'd been doing intravenous steroids and that hadn't really worked. So he was going to do this uh, procedure where they put a scope like up your nose and down into your lungs. And they spray this lidocaine all over because they'd found in some people this can calm the spasming of the bronchi. So I'm sitting on the edge of a gurney in like the uh, emergency department in this hospital and he's standing right in front of me and they don't, this is like in the mid 80s or something. So they, 
they don't make those scopes longer than they had to, I think. <laughs> so this thing is like up my nose and he's like right there. So we're like looking at each other and he's spraying this stuff and I'm trying to inhale it as it spray as it's coming in. So it's like this healing liquid is coming from my head down here. And you can also see, because this laser is very bright, uh, a red pinkish light because it's shining out through your chest cavity, right? So you can see it. So you're like breathing and everything. And then my consciousness starts to shift. And it's like this weird thing of it's like, because you're so close to this other person and you're kind of breathing and doing this whole thing in sync with this whole idea of healing and taking in this. And so it was very much like a meditation, as I found out later. And um, so I think that that mindset and concentration helped me when I went into the convulsions, which is like suddenly you're just in this. Visually, it was just kind of like like a night sky with very faint stars were kind of moving, but uh, it was super loud and it's like overwhelmingly big and just like crammed with consciousness everywhere that was like manifest and also imminent. And I had this sense that I was falling, but it's kind of like as you're falling, this is, I don't know how to describe it. It's like as you're falling, you're falling through dimensions. So kind of start out big and then just get smaller and smaller and smaller. And then you pop into a dimension where it's like really big again. But so all this is happening and it's like freaking you out because you don't realize how much your sense of self and your kind of consciousness is used to being in a body and being like a DNA-based being, being able to breathe, everything. It was just very disorienting. And then I, I sensed these beings that were huge. And I decided to, th- to throw in with them. <laughs> and it was like they were talking at me and also showing me things energetically. And... um kind of tossing, I don't know if you ever uh, read Robert Monroe, where he talks about rotes, right? So it's kind of like a ball of information that you can kind of look out later if you want. But mostly they were saying, you know, kind of like pay attention and uh, giving me like kind of a mindfulness meditation idea. They were got across to me the idea that I needed to walk Um to essentially it would strengthen an organ that would help uh, knit my body into my consciousness better and strengthen that, that I needed to pay attention to my body and bodily sensations if I wanted to get better because you have to know what's going on before you can, I mean, it's like with asthma, right? If you pay attention to the beginning symptoms, you can take medicine and tamp it down. I mean, this is the same for anyone if you're going to be in a body you got to pay attention to it. Um, the other thing that they taught me at this, these are kind of like the main things at that time, was that, um, well, first of all, that we're all connected. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's a big one. But yeah. then also, um, they saying these practices, if you do them, it will basically build kind of your light of your neutral core, which is what they were kind of inspired instantiating in, in my energetic body 
getting the feel of the core. And if you build this, um, do these exercises, you're going to build your energy or your light. And there are entities out there that are going to want to take that for themselves. So if you stay in this particular energetic body configuration in your neutral core, then they can't get at you. It's kind of like a place to escape to or to, to kind of keep your yourself to yourself. Which And this is the type of thing where um, if you go through an experience like this and you're thinking, well, how, because when I came out, I was like, how do I prove this? Because I had had a lot of science training by that point. I'm like, how do you prove any of this or work with it? Um, and sometimes you'll get a uh, confirmation because you're, I never really read uh, any of Whitley Strieber's books or followed him much, but I, I run across his um, uh, interviews or something every once in a while. And he was talking with, I believe, Greg Bishop. But he was saying that the, and Greg was like, well, how, why do you think the visitors came to see you when they did? And he's like, well, I know exactly why, because he was doing Gurdjieff uh, sensing exercises and it, this would build his light as meditators talk about. And he's like, I think that sent out a beacon and they wanted to come down and do it. And I thought that's so interesting because it's like a very similar dynamic to what I was taught, um, which is that certain practices are going to send out energy and how to manage who shows up or who doesn't show up. Mm. That is so, amazing. That's a, incredible. Thank you so yeah. much for sharing that. It's a, an amazing thank story. You. And it's like you mentioned Streber and it's sort of, the you know, the first mm -hmm. thing that came to mind when you, when you told this story was sort of the similarity with kind of supposed alien abductions, you know, um, mm -hmm. and it, it made me think kind of, there's always this association, isn't there, between um, death uh, and space consciousness yeah. and space and like that the, they seem to be like somehow intertwined and then this idea that sort of i guess i'm just thinking aloud here by the way that so so say if like ufos the, the things that people think of as ufos the the things that people see in the sky the association with space coming from these experiences that people have with entities uh, mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily from space but it's like there's always that connection with space, isn't there? And with, and it's it's just like, you know, you, once you get in with like the kind of meditation side of it as well. There's there's something there's something there to unpick, but I'm not the man to do it. Um, <laughs> but, but no, I just wondered, like, did, did you have any thoughts about the the kind of space connection? Because you you described it as you described it as falling through, almost like falling through stars and falling through space. And then, do you think there's anything in that? Do you think it's just like an archetypal image or something? I don't know. I, I'm not qualified either. I, the impression I got was that, first of all, that there is um, consciousness is basically everywhere. And so there's going to be consciousness out, you know, in the planet Jupiter or, or whatever as well. There's going to be this consciousness is suffusing everything. Um but then also, I, so then, you know, there's, I don't know. They're consistently, like you say, through meditation, through mythology, all around the world and through time, um, there's always this idea of space beings. <laughs> I don't yeah. know things happening in space. I 
Or going to sp- like like the Egyptians and uh, mm-hmm. pyramids, and that was all ascending to the stars and stuff like that. And there's like yeah, heaven. You know, yeah, just heaven, the idea of exactly, heaven being yeah. above us, you know, and the, the Christian ideas. Obviously, then you've got your mandala UFO connection as well, which there's yes, there's so many. There's just like a massive range of these kind of images and ideas and connections that are all there, and it's just like I, I feel like. Almost, we're on the cusp. Not just us three. I mean, well, <laughs> I think I we're mean, closer than we were. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, a lot of uh, you know the people who write about it and stuff. It's yeah. almost like humanity is on the cusp of understanding it. You know, like when there's a word that's just on the on the tip of your tongue, but you can't quite remember it, or yeah. something yeah. that's just outside your periphery vision and you can't quite see it, or trying to remember a dream. That's what it's most yeah. like. Trying to remember I was just a dream. Thinking that I was thinking the yeah. exact same thing. Yeah. It's like I, I somehow feel like, and I got this massively from what you described that it kind of makes sense to me and i could almost almost describe it but i can't <laughs> it reminds me of what nathan uh, nathan paul isaac was saying about you can't look directly at it you can only see it from the peripheral of your vision and that's what it feels yeah. like the, the whole thing that you were saying about there being consciousness throughout the universe really appeals to me because i just have this idea and I, i've been noodling around with it in my head about the universe having a tendency towards consciousness. You know how when people talk about life on Earth and they say, oh, well, the circumstances for life are very rare and then the circumstances that could have led to the evolution of conscious beings is very rare. Well, it might be that the form of life that we have here on Earth is very rare, but what if the actual tendency towards consciousness is much more common? And I always think this because as well... You, you, know, you were saying about there being consciousness on Jupiter and throughout the universe. Mm-hmm. And that just reminded me so much of the thought, which is a, completely true, that we're all made of this stuff that's come from the stars, you know, that's the, all this stuff that's we're made come of down. star stuff. Exactly. And I really love that idea. You know, whenever I feel down, I think about that, you know, that that the bits that make me have been flying through space for light years and light years. Um, But that is what made me think, you know, that some of this stuff will become conscious. talking about these entities that you saw did they have a physical form at all that you could see no later on um i ended up uh studying with an uh, uh rinpoche who lived in uh kensington he had a tibetan buddhist meditation center and i, I lived there for i don't know a few years and um studied with him and then also his um girlfriend, uh, Judith Skinner, uh, taught me an incredible amount. Um, but yes, when I was describing that to him, he said it sounded like the Tagatas, which is kind of like a spiritual FBI or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> like they 
Okay, I right. like this idea. What, what, yeah. uh, how, how does that work? The Mulder and Scully of the spiritual <laughs> <Yeah>. plane. <laughs> He's kind of like basically, well, kind of like uh, Alan Greenfield was talking about the whole idea of like the Black Lodge and the White Lodge. Yeah. Kind of like the idea that you have um, certain spiritual entities that are out there and they're kind of looking out for people that are in trouble or the people that can kind of help advance um, their uh, spiritual ideas or values um, more. Uh, and so that, you know, I, I don't, I feel kind of uncomfortable claiming that, but, you know, I mean, he, I mean, we knew each other for years. So he uh, would know better than, you know, other people. But um, to me, yeah, they they came across as like very, very big, like, you know, two or three Empire State buildings together big. Wow, okay. I was thinking like nine feet, ten feet, but we're talking okay. Which would also Fast. be big, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> like, just, yeah. Like really I was I need to think big. bigger. Yeah, you see English, you see, we're used to things being quite a lot smaller. In America, you've got all these <laughs> We're not as advanced. Your skyscraper-sized entities. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's one of the things that was shocking about it. It's like I had no idea any of this could go on. And I was like, okay. So it was a bit of a, yeah, a shock. It's quite I'm interesting that you didn't see, like, the archetypal grey image or yeah. the Blessed Virgin Mary or whatever, like, which is makes it, in my view, cooler. <laughs> it was very abstract, and you just you know however it comes at you is is how it's going to come. It seems like yours was a lot more useful than mine because they, they actually gave you um, teachings and and that kind of thing. <laughs> Did you find once you'd recovered and and you were well enough to process mm-hmm. some of these ideas that had been transmitted to you? What what became of that? Uh, I had a very uh, strong drive to find out more about uh, these type of practices and I and I have still have a very strong drive to um, to help you know just help people who may be in a, a similar uh, situation of um, you know life being up in the air or having these kind of odd strange experiences that, you are having trouble grappling with for me that's i feel odd because sometimes people say oh that i'm a researcher and i'm kind of but my biggest drive is to be more uh, what you would think of well just like a spiritual friend like someone who is also along the path and i will uh do my best to present facts as they are but i will lie straight to your face if that's what you need in the moment right it's i'm thinking of uh you know, when you have the the EMT guys that come and you've been in a car accident and, you know, they're telling you, yeah, you're fine. You're going to be go- okay, blah, 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 right? They don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> but that they do know that, that your best chance is going to be if you're calm and can stay present. And so that's what they're encouraging, right? So you have to think, you know, like people who are concerned about, well, is this uh, one, oh, let's say, oh, you know, you get people that are really into UFO sightings. And I love some of them. Um, 
But it's like, well, actually, when on this particular encounter, the guy wasn't wearing a green plaid flannel shirt. He was wearing a, a teal plaid flannel shirt. It's <laughs> also, like when you're concentrating on the, 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 the finer details and you're missing the bigger picture. Yeah. And I mean, I don't I think that there there can be benefit to tracing some of those finer details, but you have to. To me, the thing that I don't like is when people say that's the only real part of reality that matters. Um, because there are other aspects to me, like, you know, someone's like emotional, you know, ontological stability <laughs> can also be important. And we it's important to address that aspect of the phenomena as well, I think. So did that near-death experience that you had then in your early 20s did that lead to a magical or spiritual practice yeah i mean i started uh grappling with those practices and um you know pursuing them and uh basically i have ever since i ended up you know i've always practiced on my own with the like awareness meditation and the walking um when i was in high school we had a yoga teacher and so i always did certain you know just like physical yoga and savasana mm -hmm. um i i've never been like a a real big uh like you know i have my altar and i leave the offerings every day that type of thing um and then when it, I was in my, I don't know, like a late, or I guess it was around 30-ish, maybe early 30s, um, I had a change in my life circumstances where I was able to go live at that Tibetan uh, meditation center, Tibetan Buddhist meditation center, and uh, study there. And then I ended up uh, studying with uh, and sitting with Leslie Temple Thurston, who would uh, was coming to the area uh, every month or every a couple months during that time period. And she has her own uh, system that she has developed and has been teaching for quite a while. I learned an incredible amount from her just, you know, sitting and meditating. Her approach is more that uh, you have um, your energy body and your attention and uh, your will, um, and you basically are, are expanding and structuring your own uh, energy body um, to accomplish your uh, spiritual and magical goals. So instead of having like so much of the, the uh, altar outside, you're working with your own um, energetic structures and attention. And then also at that time, I uh, had a, met a fellow student up at the uh, center who um, was a, a middle-aged lady. And she was really, uh, had been a student of uh, some different um, North American indigenous uh, spiritual practices for many decades at that point. Um, she had studied with uh, various teachers and done a lot of different rituals. And she uh, would have a sweat lodge every month. And so I helped her uh, with that and would sit in the lodges for uh, a while. Um, we kind of had a relationship, too. Um, but she also knew a lot about astrology, 
Um, she knew a lot about um, acupuncture, acupressure points, uh, the Chinese uh, five element system, and then she was really into new thought as well. So I really learned just an incredible amount from her. with um say anthony nine on twitter today about this the idea that you can kind of have times when you're you know just practicing on your own uh, for a number of years and then you get into contact with some other people and uh, practice with them uh, with different uh, systems that they've come from and see you know what holds true what you need to reevaluate then regroup again. Um, but yeah, that was an interesting uh, time in my life. I had the, uh, I was in a place where I had the uh, resources and the time, mostly the time to be able to go uh, pursue all these things. Um, yeah. And then I don't know about probably about the better part of 20 years ago, I really got interested in synchronicities. Um, and I'm still pursuing that quite a bit because um Again, I I think it's really important for people to uh, connect with their own experiences um, because it's very easy to be glamored by gurus or you know UFO people or whoever who is like, oh, I have this inside knowledge. Uh, just give me. 2595 and it can also be yours. Yeah. Or if you're practicing with people in person, uh, there is the possibility of um, you know, sexual abuse, financial abuse, uh, yeah. getting uh, isolated from your family and friends, um, having your life become unbalanced, uh, that type of thing. So I I, I I forget what the name of the book was. I'd never been able to track it down. It was just this book on synchronicities. And uh, this guy was saying synchronicities are great because they uh, tend to pop up around all the other classical paranormal events, UFOs, hauntings, poltergeists, so on. But um, they're real easy to get going if you just pay attention to the idea of synchronicities and any synchronicities that pop up. You can get your own to pop up. And then you can think about your own experience that way. I thought, what? That would be kind of cool. Because a lot of the problems that you have, even just investigating something like UFOs or ghosts, is like, well, it's hard to have them pop up, right? Um, they tend to occur spontaneously. Um, so I thought, well, you know, synchronicities would be something that, that people could uh study on their own and it's not maybe as challenging as like a full-on full-body apparition in the dead of night coming at you 
<laughs> like it kind of ease people into like weird experience. So I've uh, got more interest these days. That's where a lot more of my focus lies is um, having, uh, well, uh, my colleague, uh, AP Strange is on Twitter, and I had, yeah, <laughs> we have a lot of fun. We both have also an interest in uh, humor in the paranormal, but we had done a show on Our Strange Skies with Rob, who is Jim, about the sand, Sam the Sandown Clown. Oh, yeah. About- yeah it's a good episode, that, and, yeah. Yeah, it's another one yes. of our favorite beings as well. Yeah. I can yeah. Oh. It's so just weird. But Matt, it, it, we're kind of uh, not too far into the show where Matt just kind of like busts out. He's like, okay, this is going to, I'm trying to open the clown portal and y'all are going to have like clown-based <laughs> synchronicities. <Yeah. laughs> and then we managed to do it. Um, so this whole idea that you can kind of create like a an experience or a, an object or work of art or podcast that is going to be uh, – supercharged where uh people who want that energy can can get those synchronicities going on their own um so they can start to look into their own experiences and know that they you know they have that ability themselves say if there were a couple of people who had a podcast who wanted to do something like that uh (laughs) what what advice would you give them if there were say two middle-aged men from england perhaps or Uh I have actually, uh, fortunately, uh, my past self has written up a, it was one of my first blog posts. And it's funny because um, I wrote it up because uh, Steve Ray and I had done a psychic influencing experiment trying to drum up synchronicities on a Greg Bishop's show, Radio Mysterioso. And we had some some good hits. And you can actually go listen to the show where we talk about that. Um and that was really valuable. There's something about practicing with someone else. And I think Steve and I had had a, a good chemistry. It was his idea, um, but we had a good chemistry for uh, drumming up these sinks and documenting, documenting them. Um, but uh, so some of the people that listened to that show were like, well, what's your method? And so I wrote a, a blog post and it's called, it's on my blog. It's my method for inducing synchronicities. Um so, so yeah. you can people can go there and read that if they want. We'll link and, to that in the show notes. Yeah, because um, partly my brain is is blinking out a little bit right now because of the the neurological insults. <laughs> 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 but um, I wanted to go meta on people on, on this issue because. Um, Part of what I did and, and why I would encourage people, if you really want to do this, to go take a look at that blog was um, uh, my friend Darsha, the, the lady that ran the sweat lodge, Leslie Temple Thurston, both of them and, and uh, Lama Kunga as well, were real hard asses about a certain angle of esoteric practice that I don't see people get into or talk about a lot, which is that. If I'm encouraging you to try something, if I am starting a ritual, if I'm going to say, go on a podcast and say, yeah, I want to infuse this podcast with that type of, um, oh, I just thought of a terrible word, but I'm going to say it kind of psychic jizz that is going to (laughs) (laughs) impregnate people with the ability (laughs) to 
to that will be your the own name of this episode. This really does need to be the lady. Like, I hope you're not joking there, Hal. Really does. Like, I'm, if you don't oh name the God. episode "Psychic Jizz," you're gonna have to find another, another co-host. Oh no! But so if I'm starting it right, then it's my responsibility to set up safeguards. So in that blog post that has a charge on it that if anyone's doing this, I want it to be something that they can handle and it's not going to be too disruptive. And if something disrupting, disruptive does come up, it needs to come through me first. Um, when uh, Darsho would have a sweat lodge, I mean, even just the physical stuff of making the lodge, getting the rocks and all the firewood and this is a lot of physical work. But you know, for about the week beforehand, there's just like a lot of um, subtle work. It's like, who's going to be there? What are their issues? What am I sensing about where they are on these issues that I know about? What's going on between the people? Is there anything happening with any of the attendees' families that is going to come up? What can we do to to move that through, to ameliorate that? What... So it's the same with any other type of ritual. And she took that very seriously. Um, and, you know, the same with the uh, Tibetan uh, Buddhist lamas and Rupaches who came through. Same with uh, Leslie Temple Thurston. Um, so that's partly why I would encourage people, if you want to even just kind of take a look at that at that blog, um, so that I, I can have a, a psychic um uh, thread on you in case you... <laughs> and I think I say in there someplace and I've said this to you know people in in my that I know personally as well as people online it's like if you if you can't get a hold of me uh electronically in the like manifest physical world you know just just you may feel stupid but feel free to reach out psychically however you think you may be able to. And, I, and I've set that energy there for you. To me, that's part of um, if you're trying to, you know, help people or become more, more of a teacher than a student, um, that's part of it. But a lot of with uh, you want to charge something, the main thing is uh, the intention. Um, it's a good idea to come up with a central uh, symbol, um, especially if you're beginning you know, like a clowns or, you know, whatever you want. Um, and then uh, you want to feed that symbol with your emotional energy. But, you know, just like joking around about a symbol is good. Um, it helps to get creative energy towards it and you're feeding it emotional energy and the emotional energy you're, you're feeding it is uh, fun and lighthearted. Right. If it's something that upsets you or that you find makes you anxious or is scary, you can use that energy. But then it's going, you know, right, like you're feeding it what's going to tend to come back to you. Um, so that, which is another reason why I don't mind uh, making fun of myself or putting out like, uh, you know, like my stupid underwear synchronicities or something. <laughs> yeah. Because if I, I mean, you know, it's like another way of making it. It's like, you know, do I enjoy uh, make looking like an idiot or uh, looking like I'm some old lady who's just like kind of perverted about underwear or something? <laughs> it's not like, it, it does embarrass me, 
But then I would rather have a, a, an unpleasant result be me being embarrassed or me looking ridiculous than someone having a problem, you know, if, if someone's working with this immediately. I'd rather t- kind of take that hit than have them have a, a hit of, you know, maybe being clumsy or having a, a small accident or something. about synchronicities like this when we recently spoke to doug bachelor from the what magic is this podcast yeah and that was a lot of fun but one of the things i didn't expect because he's a ceremonial he doesn't call himself ceremonial magician but he comes from that tradition you know he's very performative a lot of his rituals are quite baroque he does a lot of uh you know they're quite lengthy rituals and he goes to quite a lot of effort with them and it's really really interesting to find out about that stuff but when we spoke to him, interestingly, he made quite a big deal about synchronicities, which is really interesting because it does seem to me, and I think me and Buckley have talked about this before, how synchronicities seem to be like the base level of magic, you know, the, the, or like a, a, an entry point, or j- just kind of what's there when you strip everything else away are these weird channels of coincidence and meaning and you know, that seem to run through a lot of these paranormal experiences a lot of these magical rituals and a lot of these encounters that you have with entities Mm -hmm. it's just this idea that uh meaning and symbolism becomes heightened um and it's interesting to me because i i have uh some science when i was in like high school and college i had uh some more science training in like biology a little bit. And it's interesting to me because um, meaning is very important to all life organisms, right? I mean, I'm a bird watcher. Everyone, well, not everyone loves birds. <laughs> bird watching is very popular because birds are very beautiful. Um, because they have a very striking symbolism associated with pattern and color and behavior because this means something right same with sound and birds Uh, their various calls and songs have meaning they have meaning to other birds right so meaning goes way back if you look at like a single-celled organism right let's say it's a paramecium (laughs) i think they're (laughs) single-celled my brother will roast me if they're not (laughs) but let's say you have a paramecium right so it has certain needs, right? Um, It's going to want uh, food, uh, water, whatever. So it's going to have uh, input from different areas on on different parts of the cell, right? It's going to get different input. Let's say that this uh, tastes like food over here or something. I don't know how they experience the world. On, On one side and not on the other, right? The difference between hey, there's food over here, there's not like a food molecule over here. The difference between those two bits of information is the meaning because it's telling that paramecium you want to go towards the food and there's more food 
input over on this side, right? Does that make sense? The difference yeah. between information and meaning? Or like if you have a plant and it wants to grow towards the light, right? It has leaves that are getting different amounts of um, photons kicking off on different parts of the leaves. So the difference between that, the pattern that it makes, is the meaning for the plant so that it knows which way it wants to go, if it wants to go towards the light. Now we have a plant having a near-death experience. Go towards the light. <laughs> yeah, maybe that, maybe that can be the next question. Do plants have near-death experience? It's, um, I think like with a lot of stuff like, you know, in my, uh, I always use this phrase, in my limited understanding of magic and in, uh, in ufology, it's always about, it always seems to come back to the symbols. It always seems to come back to, yeah. you know, you're working with symbols and it's kind of, it's kind of what symbols work for you almost. It's a really important uh, point. And um, it's funny because you were talking about intuition earlier. And I think that at a certain point, the reason that magicians and I believe UFOs tend to work through uh, symbols is it, be it becomes a way to organize uh, your consciousness um, and your energetic uh, body, your cell bodies. At a certain points of working, you'll realize that you can just have, um, you know that like the felt sensation of an emotion? If you kind of rarefy that into like even a subtler experience that goes beyond the body and is more about how your attention goes. I don't know how to explain this, but the, the past several years is I, I've always um, liked to lie down of an afternoon and put a blindfold on and start meditating a little bit. Um, and I've become more adept at just kind of like tuning in on the consciousness level, it's, it's, it's a feeling of, um, you know, old, old, old timey radios, broadcast radios, where you go, you go through the various frequencies and it's a lot more like that. But I, and I think that, uh, a lot of people can have that experience. Um, if you look at the, uh, Robert Monroe gateway training, he uses that kind of metaphor in a, a very similar type of experience, but I've noticed that there are certain uh, entities that I, or intelligences that I work with that you can just kind of tune into their frequency. And are, are you, are you saying that that's a method that you can use to help to uh, develop your intuition? I, th I think that there's probably going to be a, an overlap there. Um, I think partly intuition comes down to, uh, being able to access the pattern making part of your brain. Um, and th this is again where uh, symbols and working with symbols can be helpful because they come through in uh, many ways. You find in, for example, uh, traditional groups of ceremonial magicians, right? You'll have like a, uh, let's say, a hot pink. Uh, dodecahedron right and that's going to be uh your key to access certain um let's say astral rooms or astral uh, areas that are created and maintained by that group and that works well as like let's say a security measure but also if you're still training your mind 
um, you may not be able to just go with just kind of like by feel or by, by vibration. something with you i don't think oh, yeah. i've ever talked about this on the podcast but mm -hmm. when i was in my early 30s mm -hmm. i went um I, I didn't have a lot of money at that time but when i could afford it i went to this kind of meditation group um and i it was just a few quid and you'd go in and you'd basically sit down and one guy would take you through guided meditation then you'd have a more free meditation one time just just that this one time in in all the time that I went we we got to the free meditation part and as i was just meditating i at the time i was meditating quite a lot so i i did manage to clear my mind so it was almost like kind of you know kind of darkness but not quite darkness you know the, the, just space mm -hmm. and suddenly there was this thing in front of me and the best way i can describe it is that it was like a glowing orange 16 bit pineapple just just the orange bit just in front of me you know very clumsily rendered as if it was an old-fashioned computer game mm -hmm. and i kind of oriented myself towards it and it came towards me and as my presence rather than my body met this 16-bit pineapple i just got this wave of absolute peace and almost like euphoric bliss running through me and it lasted seconds you know maybe poss possibly as long as 30 but time wasn't really i i couldn't really tell you how long it was but i've kind of been looking for that <laughs> looking for that 16-bit pineapple ever since because that was the only time i've encountered it it's the only time that i've i've touched upon that feeling but never in that concentrated pure form but what you were saying about the hot pink decahedron that that almost related there must have been some i wonder if it was maybe a chakra maybe it was a crystal i i don't know but i have no idea what that was it was an artifact from this one meditation that i've never been able to find again but it was just so beautiful that whole experience was so peaceful and, and blissful and amazing so about how many in oh god how many years ago was that in human years? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, See, even just talking about it, you got my sense of time thrown off. <laughs> so that was maybe, I would have been maybe 32 or 33, so maybe eight years ago-ish. Yeah. There are, I mean, that it's, it's, it's a mystery. I think that you had that sense of bliss and that it presented itself in a way that would be easily recognizable and um, that you're still interested into this. I have found that there are certain experiences that can take quite a while, like a, you know, a decade or two or more, to unfold or to develop again. Um, so I would say keep the faith. <laughs> but but also um 
One thing that uh, Leslie Temple Thurston would talk about is the idea of when you have a really uh, numinous uh, experience to uh, write it down or record it, for example, as you have now, it's a way of um, bringing that energy into the uh, consensus reality and the manifest world. And so when you go back to that, you are um, how do I say? like reliving that experience, but also um, feeding, like we were talking about before, synchronicities, you're feeding into that experience. Mm. So even, for example, talking about it on this um, show and then having your podcast go out there, you don't know if you'll, pot, you know, one thing could be someone, uh, you hear from someone who's had that same experience or seen that similar entity. Um, so you don't know, but there's, uh, I think that, there is something to keeping certain experiences private and, mm. and sometimes you just don't even really know how to try and convey it. Yeah. But there is also something to be said for uh, knitting your numinous experiences into consensus material reality and to speaking publicly about them can be a way of activating them. Um, right. And then, and I would say eight years isn't that long of a time see this is why i'm always saying this is why that they're always uh, telling monks and everything are always praying for long life because a lot of these, i don't know if it's just me where it takes me a long time to get anywhere <laughs> but some of these processes can take really quite quite a long time to unfold um so you know and just when you think that uh you know, you've kind of stabilized in your practice and you're, you're kind of, okay, this is, I, I guess this is what it is. It's pretty intense, but I've kind of got the hang of it. And then something that you never even imagined can bust forward. But it sounds like there was a, a connection, a real connection made there. So, yeah, that's really interesting what you were saying about how all these things can coalesce over time, because what I'm finding is we do vase and we, again, we were talking to Doug about this at the beginning of season two about how, because I think he sees his podcast as a magical working, and I'm on the, the same th thought pattern with the, with Vase. You know, I I think that Vase is b becoming for me more of a magical working, and I'm finding experiences that I've had all the way back from when I was eight years old are coalescing and making more sense as we do this almost mm -hmm. like the project as we talk about it as you were saying as you talk about it it becomes something it's like we're dragging it into the manifest consensus world but also makes me almost like my life is making a little bit more sense just a little bit little mm -hmm. by little it's making a little bit more sense and like this is a necessary process for me i don't know are you feeling this as well buckley or what's your um, um I really thought about it like that, to be honest. It, it, it's more like, um, I know sort of around this time last year, kind of late July, last year I had that experience in London with the sort of swarm of synchronicities that, that were seemed to come very much, you know, around the time when we were starting out the podcast and it just sort of felt like, okay, wow. Steph won't know this, but we met when we were, what, 10 years old ghost hunting together you know uh so we're talking 32 years ago 31 32 years ago and was our meeting you know 
just so we could do this. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a, but it's it's something to think about, isn't it? You know, sort of if you think it, take it back, you know, that far. Um, I mean, it's certainly the most progress I've made over a short space of time, because what's it been about a year now that we've been doing it? Yeah. The most progress I've made in making sense of my life and how my place in the universe, if you want to use a really grand and overblown term for it. But that is kind of what it feels like. It feels like we're poking and prodding and trying to find out how it works and speaking to people like you who have all this knowledge and every little thing like just some of the stuff that you've been talking about to us tonight has been really fortuitous in that there's certain projects that we're hoping to work on that you've spoken to directly without even knowing about it. Yeah, absolutely. Which is really, really interesting. <laughs> I think, really, I think we, really interesting. We shared a knowing look at that point, didn't we? Yeah, and, we and tried then, to. And right? then another, yeah. one, another one about a minute later when she said something else that was related and we were like, well, you know, yeah, 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 she knows, she knows. But we've been extraordinarily lucky to speak to so many knowledgeable and, and wise people because every little bit again i was thinking about this earlier every person that we've spoken to we've learned something from something that we can probably apply to some of these ideas and projects and also apply to vase going forward which is a nice feeling it feels like there's whether it's a single purpose or not it feels like there's a flow that we're stepping into uh, which is you know connected us to you to uh you know nathan to sequoia to alan greenfield to all these people that we've spoken to it seems like it's almost uh, a net, like a network of of people that we, we we speak to, who and it's but but even though everyone is slightly different in what they bring to the table, it's all we're all working together towards a similar goal. Which I suppose, if it had to have a description, it would be perhaps a similar goal to the entities which spoke to you Steph in terms of it's it's expanding consciousness it's sort of making people see things outside of consensus reality it's making people question things and um it's kind of brain change isn't it it's mind expansion it's 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 that kind of thing um and although we're only a very small part of it and there's podcasts out there that have been going on for longer and have a far bigger reach that are doing far you know probably having far more of an impact than we are it's nice to think and i I suppose that i the way i see it is that on some small level we're part of a bigger thing uh that and it's it's sort of nice to be part of it really it's nice to think that there are people and and we've seen it on it on quite a small level like i say but we've seen it where we think that there's people who've come to us and basically said yeah you've you've i don't want to say changed my life but you've you've given me a lot to think about and you've changed, you've made me buy a bunch of books and think differently and stuff like that. And there's, there's a few people like that. And I suppose as someone who's been doing this for a long while, Steph, you'll know this, like there's probably hundreds of people that you've had that effect on. Um, so it's like, we're all, we're all part of just this same thing of like just spreading the weird word. Is that how you see your role now? Because you were talking about coming to more prominence in slightly later life, uh, as you were talking about Julia Childs earlier. And you'd said to me when we were talking, um, had some fantastic conversations uh, by message, uh, and you'd said to us about teaching and you'd said to avoid teachers who make sweeping mysterious statements you want people who'll talk straight to you is that something that you find to be very important to what you do 
Yes, I think you know everyone has to has to find their their own path. But um, the one thing that I I felt was lacking when you two were just talking about your own project is that you, you know you are friends, and it's very apparent in your show and that's a lot of the charm of it and that's a lot of what uh i think attracts people to it and that can get lost is it you know there's there needs to be some heart in all this right definitely and yeah and it's like how can we treat other people well um as we're going through all these weird experiences and, and trying to figure out life and uh get you know more conscious about things that to me that's always been um you know what what motivates it is to you know to try and help other people even if it's just to uh you know make someone laugh or something because yeah. life can be hard <laughs> you know we need to have things that inspire us and to be able to joke around to get through it because um you know especially the last few years it's it's been rough um so yeah, I I forgot what your uh, question was. <laughs> oh, sweeping <laughs> statements. Sweeping statements. It's it's a hard thing. I I have been talking with um, AP Strange the last while more about Gurdjieff because um, he's the classical type of old school uh, glamorous trickster teacher. Where, um, you know, he will just shine you on and he's always has this outsized persona, knows everything, uh, very adept at handling people. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of people would say that it was well known that when you kind of put yourself in his care that, you know, he could you had no insight into his inner workings, you know. He was the teacher who knew and was a lot more than you, um, and you're the student. So you're just doing a lot of things that you have no idea what his motivation is or or, or purpose. Um, and I think that those type that those type of teachers can be incredibly influential. I mean, look at Gurdjieff; he's influenced. Um, you know, a number of people, even just like in the the musical pop uh, culture of music and art, um, he's had an incredible influence behind the scenes. I mean, look at Strieber, how influential he was, his whole idea uh, behind aliens and uh, communion, and his experience, in his own words, was precipitated by um, practicing what Gurdjieff had taught. Um. But that's not the only way to go about it. And I think uh, as we've gone through, especially the last hundred years, uh, there's been a a lot of uh, movements towards less hierarchical approaches to uh, life generally and um, also in the, the occult and esoteric studies. And just in my own um Uh, pursuit of esoteric knowledge, I saw that the whole idea of authority and hierarchy could be really abused and even just detrimental to 
just uh, normal transmission of knowledge. Um, so, and it's interesting you were talking about Alan Greenfield earlier because uh, one of my earlier uh, podcast hosting uh, forays, uh, Rojan uh, of Project Archivist and I spoke to Alan Greenfield about his own experiences in sex magic. And he was very forthcoming and I really appreciated it because um, he spoke about being in um, the ancient order of antiquity. <laughs> ancient order of antiquity. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we can say who it was or not. But you're basically kind he of said classic, that on podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a classical ceremonial magic uh, situation and how he and a number of other people were, you know, sexually exploited in that context. Um and then when he uh, pursued uh, erotic mysticism and sex magic on his own uh, with, uh, you know, his, like his girlfriend at the time or partner of the times um, in a, a, a straight across collaborative, more equal um, per, uh, setting that he had uh, much more profound experiences and much more striking results. Um, also, it was uh, actually kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> which I think sometimes people forget about sex magic. Um, and so I was very happy to do that show with him. And, and again, that's another instance where we had a very blatant, is not quite the word, but above board uh, agreed upon idea that we, our intention was to uh, get this knowledge out there so people could avoid exploitive situations. And then they could also uh, pursue... Um, experiences and uh, uh, rituals, um, skills that would benefit them and they could grow and have positive experiences um, and uh, have, you know, that that heartfelt and uh, honest connection um, as well and, and not feeling like you have to put yourself in some kind of scary, risky situation with someone who's kind of grossing you out just to try and get some type of initiation. You know, more the idea of I'm all into like uh, self-initiation um, in a lot of these uh, areas. So, yeah, know. I've just been listening to a podcast about uh, Castaneda. So a lot of that kind of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I still see, see people sometimes today who are just like kind of unquestioning about, oh, wow, look at Castaneda. And there is a huge glamour there. Yeah. Um, even just the, I love the art on his um, original paperbacks. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. He could tell these, the stories are phenomenal. But you can see as well that in his um, stories and his philosophy from the very beginning, he has this whole ideas that where he ended up as he did, which is, you know, he's in this kind of, uh, well, not kind of, he ran a death cult. The, yeah. the women who were closest to him at the end of his life, have, uh, I guess uh, one of them has been found, her body's been found, and the other ones have just appeared, disappeared and never been seen of again. So, do you, yeah, it's important to uh, deconstruct some of this glamour and ideas you know, even his whole idea about uh, Don Juan could just kind of uh, go up to, and, and Gurdjieff would do this similarly. And sometimes it will happen that, you know, even us kind of uh, lower uh, beings can pull this type of thing off where you go up and you see someone and you're able to really radically change their consciousness um, 
through subtle means, you know, he, he would Don Juan in the castinated books would like strike you at a certain angle and put you into an ultra state of consciousness. Um, people will slip people a Mickey, uh, but you, you can, you can do this to other people. Should you do it to someone? Right. Well, absolutely. That's, not. that's the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm very new to Castaneda. I just, just listened mm-hmm. to this long um, podcast series about him. Uh, so it's about uh, 10 episodes or something. We can link to it in the show notes. Um, but it, it seems to me like uh, it's one of those situations where he wasn't a very nice man at all. But, but, but that doesn't mean he's not interesting and that there aren't some interesting ideas going on. I guess Crowley is Crowley, yeah. similar in that respect, you know? Um, and yeah, it just makes you wonder, doesn't it? Sort of with the whole cult thing, you know, it's kind of, th- there seems to be, I, I don't know. I don't know what the, the, the pattern is, but the, they all seem to do the same thing and a, a, a very similar thing. And it's like, I guess what you're saying is that, that this approach that's, that you have, and, and the, the sort of thing that you're warning people about is as a protection from that, which is inherently, I think, uh, a good thing to, to warn people because we don't want any more Castaneda situations. interested in castaneda i always recommend amy wallace's book sorcerer's apprentice have you read it uh, no i know i heard about it i think on that on that podcast but um yeah she is and again it's this whole uh strange um way that the magical life can unfold her uh, father was Irving Wallace, who was a, a very prominent writer. And so when she was just a teen, she actually met Castaneda. And then when she became, uh, I'm going to say when she became legal, which is about how it went down, he Castaneda started cultivating her um, romantically. So she spent uh, most of her, uh, a lot of her adult life uh, being part of his inner circle, being kicked out from his inner circle for no good reason. Um, he's incredibly manipulative. I mean, and had a real control freak. He would, the women that were closest to him, he really liked uh, women that had kind of a elfish or tomboy look and with uh, short hair. And so if you were one of these women, he would, you had to let him be the only one who would cut your hair, right? And he would give you like an incredible haircut and wash your hair and rinse it in rosemary water afterwards and just be so loving and just think, and you'd look, so she said she would walk down like, uh, oh, what's that uh, main, the main boulevard, rodeo boulevard in Hollywood. Actresses would come up and say, who did your hair? And she couldn't say who it was. You know, they, they, they were dying to get a recommendation. He was very artistic. She has uh, pieces of jewelry that he made for her, which I wouldn't mind having any of that either. But um, <laughs> but then 
right? You could never ask. So she talks about just how much she would jerk people around. She'd talk about, you know, she was like trying to go for a really big job interview and her hair was just like completely grown out. She felt like she couldn't cut it, but it was just this level of petty manipulation about every aspect of your life, jerking people around, you you know, keep you close and then, you know, cut you off for no good reason. Um, Yeah. And then in the end, a number of these uh, women, apparently it looks like they committed suicide. But Amy Wallace wrote this book about it. She's an incredible writer. She um, had like a romantic and sexual relationship with him over many years. He had, he was a bigamist. He married like two or three of these other uh, women who were close to him. He always had like kind of a, uh, was sleeping with like a half a dozen women at any one time. (laughs) It's interesting to me because Cassinate is a great storyteller and you wonder, I think Wallace wonders as well. Well, unfortunately, she died a number of years ago, but she wonders as well, would she have had, have been as good of a writer if she hadn't been around him? And also, this is like the big story that she has to tell, which is very unique, very fraught. But, you know, it's just devastating because she's so close to these people. You know, she has like Florinda Donner, who's one of his main uh, women, coming by her house every day for breakfast. And then suddenly, you know, when he dies the next day, she's like, she's calling everyone's phone number and and all their lines are dead and she never sees anyone ever again. Yeah, and these are like the people that she was the absolute closest to. And if you look at Carlos Castaneda's worldview and stuff from the beginning. He's very much about, you know, you were the individual man, you were fighting against death. Uh, Women have a hole between their legs. It goes to infinity. You can't trust them. (laughs) You know, and this is very combative, very aggressive, very much, you know, the universe is trying to eat you and you can't trust anyone and you need to erase your personal history. You know, you just make people give away their pets and cut off contact with all of their family because I, the other thing is that he was incredibly influential and he's still very popular, like around here in the, the Bay Area and stuff. You go to any any used bookstore, it doesn't have to be a, a bookstore about, you know, weird stuff <laughs> or metaphysical, as they would call it. And they're going to have all his books for sale and they're going to have a deep stack of them because they're still incredibly popular. Um so there, I've known a number of people who are heavily involved in uh, reading Castaneda and working with Castaneda's ideas, and it, it, as far as I could tell, did not help them. So that's my own prejudice, you know. If you think about sort of the influence he had, I mean, the two mm-hmm. the two that come to mind as being to me sort of the big ones would be uh, John Lennon and George Lucas. If you think about that, mm-hmm. the cultural impact that both Star Wars and the Beatles have had. And then yeah. you compare him to Crowley. Like again, Crowley had like a huge influence. Maybe not as visible, mm-hmm. but like the more we learn about Crowley, I think you can see like his his tendrils oh, are, are everywhere. And it's like it's pretty weird to think that these two kind of very unsavory, but also sort of almost kind of uh, I want to say kind of spiritually experimental people mm-hmm. have had this like huge influence on you know things that <laughs> relatively normal people know about you know do, do you have any advice to people who are pursuing their own self-directed practice to avoid that kind of situation yeah i have a, a article on my blog post which is uh my advice for sex magic with others 
And it goes for any type of spiritual practice with others. And it, it basically it comes down to, you know, you, you want to develop your own practice, right? Whatever it is you're doing and ground yourself in that. Even if it's just, um, just you know, you're doing uh, 10 minutes of uh, awareness or mindfulness meditation every morning. If you do a yoga tape every day, you know, whatever it is you're doing, you, you go out and uh, walk to a certain tree and kind of spend some quiet time with that tree. Whatever it is you're doing, know what you're doing and ground yourself in that and work on developing your own skills so you know your own worth. Um, you always want to uh, diversify, right? So you're going to want to develop your own uh, friendships outside of spiritual practice. You're going to want to have hobbies. Um, you're going to want to uh, have a, you know, a sensible, a day-to-day -day life. So you want to make sure that you're uh, having a balanced diet and some exercise and getting, you know, out outdoors, um, all that type of stuff. Um, and when it comes to spiritual stuff, you know, you, you don't want to just like fall in with, with people right away. Um, and you want to develop your own avenues of, uh, of information and practice outside of that. Um, and I would say a little bit over time is better than jumping right in. Now, there's always going to be people who want to jump right in um, because usually when you have a desire to uh, know more about spirituality or spiritual desire, esoteric desire, it's usually very strong to get you over the hump. Um but, you know, you need to always maintain connections out of what if you're pursuing like with a, a specific group, um, maintain your connections outside of that group. Um, and sometimes you may need to get like really anal or kind of Cartesian about it. So just like look at your calendar for a week and for a month and see, you know, make sure that you're, uh, you know, calling your dad <laughs> Right, that you're going out and getting coffee with your with your girlfriend, uh, that you're going out there and doing your bike ride or whatever it is that you like to do as a hobby, uh, that you have types, uh, you know, time for your crafts and stuff. Um, so you're balancing that, um, and do your best to think critically about what you're being taught. Is there a way to disprove this? What are this? Uh, the skills that you're supposed to be developing or whatever. There's a lot of um, spiritual uh, groups that have a more, uh, like a, a lot of Wiccan groups and stuff that have a more uh, structured, um, what do you call it? When you have a bunch of stuff you're going to study. Curriculum. Like a curriculum, yeah. Thank you, yeah. Um, and I think that that can be a, a good sign. Uh, but that is important. It is important to know your worth and to maintain your uh, structured life outside of whatever your spiritual pursuits are. Um, another thing that I think is valuable, although I don't think it's very nice to think about, is um, is but as a safety measure, I bring it up. You need to think about uh, any spiritual group that you are approaching. If you came walking in the door and they were going to exploit you, what are they going to see, right? So do you have money? Um, 
do you have uh, uh, professional or academic connections? Do you have um, like a strong back so you can provide labor? Uh, are you sexy? <laughs> all of these things, all of the above. <laughs> exactly, and more. Your prime target, buddy. Yeah, well, yeah, as, as we've seen. <laughs> Honestly, I've got all of these occult people are coming for me all the time. Banging down your door. Why wouldn't they? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) They'd Uh, be lucky to get near it. And look at look at yourself from that angle, so you can kind of, you know, guard against that. Hopefully, Um, and the people that are uh, that leave you alone and that seem boring are are generally going to be people that are uh, a little bit more on the level, um, and uh, the you know, as as far as wanting a more straight across type of interaction. Um, and, and I will say also that, you know, I mean, obviously, if you're going to uh, a group or a person um, and they are, you know, giving you meditation instruction or whatever it is, you know, it's only reasonable to help, help them with expenses and, and give back to the group. But it's important to make sure that it seems like a reasonable and sensible interaction. ask our guests if they can recommend any books or podcasts or documentaries or films or tv shows or music or anything that they think that our listeners might be interested in or that you find important to yourself or anything like that see this is one that always gets me put on the spot because especially the last few years um when i've been speaking out more i have less time for intake but i did want to recommend a uh, book by alex matsuo m-a-t-s-u-o women in the paranormal and it's just come out and she is profiling uh, i think about 25 different uh, women who are uh, prominent now or in the past in the paranormal field and she had some a uh, couple of ladies in there that i had never heard of before uh people that are uh, involved in in the SBR way back in the day, um, more modern uh, women. And she's also working on a, uh, a new volume. So I'm very excited about that. And she is uh, a lot of fun um, on her uh, TikTok and various presentations and stuff. Um, she's very knowledgeable, but also uh, very witty. Um, and also people might want to check out uh, Vanessa Wiliuko's uh Personal Pans, she has been putting on the Pan Paracon for a couple of years, which is an online uh, conference, and she has a number of interviews with uh, people that you can see uh, uh, on, uh, it's uh, Personal Pans, it's a podcast feed, and then also a YouTube channel, and she has a, like, a lot more uh, diverse uh, individuals as far as our uh, let's say uh, racial uh, gender (laughs) economic background and a lot of artists too there so if people are interested she does um chain mail aluminum chain mail (laughs) 
Oh, wow. jewelry and clothing so Amazing. yeah so she's a very interesting person excellent so. that sounds fantastic and where can people find you and your work um well my blog is ghost dog is a mystery box it's stephaniequick.home.blog i am also on facebook and on twitter and i think blue sky I don't know the whole Twitter thing. Yeah. It's kind of, who knows where that's, that's going? That's but, like, you're you're a good yeah. follow on Twitter, though. I do enjoy. I do enjoy yeah. your, your posts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was where we first fun. encountered your work. Actually, yeah. it was through Twitter. Because oh. it's yeah, def- definitely recommend that, and we'll link to that in the show notes as well. And you've got YouTube videos as well, haven't you? Uh, uh, yeah, I have a YouTube. If you go to my blog, there's a I think a contact or an about page, and it has like my uh, YouTube channel and and social media, and then also an email address if you want to email me weird experiences (laughs) fantastic and if anyone out there wants to hear any more vase um you can find us on twitter and instagram uh that's at vase then vase spelled backwards so that's at v-a-y-s-e-e-s-y-a-v our website is www.vase.co.uk you can find all our episodes there you can find all our episodes and all of the usual podcast platforms but if you go to our website the full show notes are there uh the the show notes are expansive and you'll find loads of interesting things in there and I'm sure that the show notes for this episode are going to be incredible as well. Um, and the uh, you can email us with your weird experiences too at vaseinfo at gmail.com. You can get the soundtrack on Bandcamp. And Buckley's done the soundtrack there under his name, Polypores, and it's excellent. And any money that he makes from that soundtrack goes back into the podcast so that's fantastic and if you want to if you've maybe already got the soundtrack but you want to throw some cash our way if you can afford to we have a ko-fi um and if you make a regular um subscription on there you can become a member of our discord server which is uh, a lot of fun at the moment actually i'm really enjoying it's great hosting on the there. discord is yeah. great And if you enjoy the podcast, then like, follow, subscribe, and most importantly, share, because that is how people find out about this stuff, particularly with Twitter going the way it's going and social media becoming fractured in the way that it is. Uh, Word of mouth is so, so important. And I think that goes for everyone's work in this field as well. So tell a friend, just tell a friend, tell tell everyone. It doesn't matter if you're friends or not. In fact, you might make friends telling people about this. So It's highly unlikely, but you might. (laughs) If you do, they will be a great friend, friend for life. Um, and th- thanks everyone for listening and thanks so much Steph for, for yeah, being so you. generous been, with your time it's been, it's been so so interesting really 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 we good. could have gone on for another two hours like it's yeah. uh, we, we've barely touched any of the questions that we <laughs> know, that we messaged you about earlier that we just it's been so interesting so fascinating yeah uh, so Steph before you go one more <laughs> question um, so regular <laughs> listeners will know that as the guy who plays the the clown role on this particular podcast I usually ask a bit of a silly question at the end but I'm actually going to ask one that isn't that silly because I think that it's maybe important um, I think as we're both men as you've probably gathered um, and there's a lot of men in this in this area isn't there in the occult ufology whatever you want to call it all these areas there's very it's a very much a man thing a lot of the time, which I don't think it was always the case, but and I definitely don't think it should be the case, but it does seem very male dominated. What advice would you give uh, to men like us to make it a better space for women in terms of, you know, a better experience or whatever? Not just women. I mean, maybe people who are just non-male as well. Yeah. Yeah. How can we be better allies? I suppose is the phrase. I, well, I focus on, a couple of things. One is just uh, give women more space. 
right? I was just uh, talking recently with the, the guy, I forget, forgot his name, the guy who hosts the uh, Necronomicast podcast. And uh, he, along with uh, people like um, Rick Palmer of Some Other Sphere, uh, Jeffrey Pritchett, Church of Mabus, um, they just make it a project to uh, have more of a gender balance on their shows. And that, you know, just uh, makes it amazing. And it, it really helps women because if you just, it just changes the space because it's not so male. Um, and you have to make an effort to do that. And um, a lot of times uh, women will be covering things that you're interested in, but maybe from a different angle or perspective. And so this is good too, because, you know, it helps to, um, instead of just getting uh, having people just kind of follow down a rabbit hole or you're just following what you're just attracted to anyway it helps you to develop uh, diversify right your theory and uh your uh, social connections and whatnot um so i think that it helps make a stronger community community it helps make uh, each of us individually stronger to have uh, more diverse connections out there um and the other thing is like you're saying with social media is possible to uh, uh boost uh women's uh re- reply one uh, person i like is uh, john tenney uh, oh, yeah. because he he speaks he always is replying and uh boosting and uh liking a lot of uh non-men on his social media feed and of course he has a huge number of followers so just that type of thing can make a, a difference engaging with people's ideas irrespective if they're um male female decline my dad would always say decline to state <laughs> non-binary <laughs> yeah um this was back when i was a little girl my dad would tease me about that um and so you know that that's another that's another way just you know engaging with people and engaging in the level of ideas um i was talking with someone else today about when you're uh taking issue with the way someone is practicing esoterically or um, some uh, theory that they have or something, don't automatically call them a soccer mom or gender people that way. I heard someone today was saying, oh, then they're just going to squawk that it's patriarchal, these witches. You know, and it's like witches, this tended female patriarchal well that would be kind of usually someone who's not a man would complain about and what he was complaining about was uh people being more culturally appropriative which is not a gendered thing right so you didn't you didn't have to go there but it just becomes so what was it? i was listening to a podcast and it's three guys that i have had uh very well respected in the parapolitical or para weird sphere um and they were putting down uh, people who are dilettantes in the UFO field. And this one guy's like, well, I think of them as like the bored housewife contingent. And it's like, you didn't have to gender, gender that it. female. Yeah. Because, and I'm sure we can all think of individual people <laughs> at the top of our heads who are men who are UFO dilettantes, right? Yeah. But you just, it's so it just looking at your language. I like uh, Eric Wargo is great on his blogs if he has like a, uh, or what do you see? A person who's imaginary, who's standing in for a person. He'll, he'll always gender them as female. 
And then he chooses a lot of his uh, subjects of people to write about as women, women artists and uh, stuff. And he, you know, there's in incredible subjects out there. Lots of times if you take a, uh, I don't want to say, if you just ha have that, that that impetus to look into something and say, well, I'll look at it through, uh, you know, someone who's not white or who's not rich, yeah. or I'll try and find someone mm -hmm. who's not a man. And then this can, you know, you can find really interesting stuff because these are people whose uh, experiences are usually less addressed. So, yeah, those, those are some suggestions. Yeah, I mean, it's, step for asking that. it's stepping outside of your own reality tunnel, essentially, isn't it? And sort of, Perfect, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you, Steph. Excellent. We uh, thank you so I've much. Absolutely love talking you. to you. It's been fantastic. Yeah, it's been a perfect. real privilege. No, thank you. I really, I really appreciated it. And um, it was so funny. I, I loved your questions because there was like a lot. It was like over 14, 15 of them, and they were all really good, meaty, very important questions. And it delighted me especially because a few months ago, I, I've had questions about uh, Jacques Vallée. I guess a number of years ago, he in the 70s, he did a um, CE5 experiment here in Northern California. So I've only heard a few bits and pieces about it over the years, and I've just been dying of curiosity because I'm very interested in people who try and uh, gin up flying saucers and aliens and stuff. Um, so, but I was like, you know, I'm just like, he's Jacques Vallée, I'm just a worm, he won't pay attention to me. Anyway, <laughs> so... Um, I, uh, a few months ago, I had come up with a list of like my documents, like I have questions for Jacques Vallée, all about this. And it was, it, it was very much, you know, like three pages of just like crammed full of this, that, and the other thing. What's the environment? What were you thinking? Who are your influences? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, I talked to uh, some different people and they're like, oh, he's actually very approachable. You can just send him an email. And, you know, he got back to this person. He's, you know, takes him a couple of weeks, but blah, blah, blah. So finally, I don't look back up for probably about four months ago, I was like, okay. So I wrote an email and I sent this document to him and just like, I want to talk to you about this thing. And I haven't heard squat. So <laughs> which I, fair play, because if I was Jacques Vallée at this point in time, everything going on in the UFO field, the last thing I want to talk about is me in the woods, in the redwoods in Northern California, making an altar to try and attract a bunch of flying saucers. But it cracked me up when I got your email because I thought, this is like what I sent to Valet. And I'm just Jacques, getting back. Jacques, if, you, if you're listening, get back to Steph, for God's sake. Yeah. Come on, time's ticking. And it tickled me too, because right, you guys start with the VA as well. Yeah. Right? Yes, yes. So I thought, you know, this because I thought, well, you know what? I This is... My email had the uh, perfect intention because I got to talk to you guys, <laughs> and I didn't even—I don't know if even if you were particularly on my radar at that point. So it was a, it was a really fun uh, talking with you, and I thought that was really kind of a a fun—I uh, don't know—synchronicity or energy yeah, coming back. That's somewhere. a good one, yeah. and, and you know, obviously, Valet does listen to our show, so he'll now hear it, and uh, I'm sure he'll, I'm sure Finally, without it's, it's, it's the highlight that's of his right. it's the highlight of his week. Um, <laughs> He's like, we love you, Jacques. Yeah. Get back to me. He's, <laughs> Don't leave he's me like, hanging. Like, Sorry, Tom DeLong, I can't do dinner tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>